How's it going, everybody? Aloha and welcome back to the Brick House for another season of Bo's Football Final here at KHON2.com and everywhere you download podcasts. I'm your host, Rob DeMello, and joining me, a couple of Spectrum Sports Hawaii football analysts. We got former University of Hawaii player and coach Rich Miano, former Rainbow Warrior offensive lineman RJ Hollis, two of my brothers to get things started here in season three of BFF because guys we are less than a week away from kickoff as the Rainbow Warriors will take on UCLA this Saturday at 9 30 in the morning Hawaii time on ESPN and first things first guys this is the first full recruiting class first full off season you had spring training you had fall ball and now you're getting into scout work for Todd Graham in his era as the Rainbow Warrior head coach. And so this feels a little more real. Now, obviously, there's some wrinkles still going on in this crazy time to be alive here in this 2021 University of Hawaii football season. But with that being said, coming off of last year, which was pushed back and there was uncertainty that a season would even take place. How excited are you guys that this thing is about to kick off here in less than a week? Rich, how you feeling, buddy? Yeah, it's been a long offseason, Rob. Super excited about playing UCLA in Los Angeles, playing Oregon State, having those two Pac-12 teams early in the schedule. Because I think this team may be good enough to shock some people nationally. And the only way to do that is to beat some of these teams that have national recognition. So really excited about the start of this season. I think that Hawaii has really plug and play they've got some guys that i think filled some gaps filled some holes todd graham you talk about discipline you talk about elite you know discipline talk about conditioning he's had a full off season the coaches are excited uh the the players are trying to match their intensity and they're gonna have to match me and rj's intensity if they really (laughs) want to be good Hey, good luck. Good luck with that, fellas. I mean, if they're matching your intensity, then we're in good for a pretty good season of Rainbow Warrior football. And of course, that leads us to RJ Hollis. RJ, I mentioned it. Full recruiting class. Rich talked about the plug and play because you have over 20 starters returning from a New Mexico Bowl championship team. Where are you on your excitement level of this UH football season? I mean, as soon as the fall rolls over, you know how I get out. We get the brick. <laughs> How? So, you know, anytime you get to do a broadcast, I get to break out my good clothes. The weather slows down and you get to see that pigskin flying. You got to love it. But when, like Rich said, you look at the elite discipline, you look at the offseason, the training they got. But the most important thing is that father time that never moved because of COVID. Chevy Cordero is still a red shirt sophomore. Uh, Darius Mulesau is still a freshman, like we have players that are still here that are going to be here for a while that have already shown they have plenty to offer. But more so than that, you brought in talent. You brought in guys from Oklahoma, Georgia, Iowa State, filled the gaps like Rich Miano said. So not only am I excited because fall has rolled back around again, I'm excited because I know this is definitely going to be a entertaining season of football and I can't wait to get it going. 
Yeah, and the Green Agent Tapa Trim get things going this Saturday. Now, one thing that you talked about, RJ, that, that I want to give everyone a heads up that things are going to get a little confusing when looking at the roster this season because you had mentioned that technically Shevin Cordero is a fourth-year sophomore. Now, in the last week, the Mountain West Conference changed their policy and everybody moved up a grade no matter what. So on the roster, it's going to say Shevin Cordero starting last week. Shevin Cordero is a junior, but really he is a sophomore because he's going to have this year. He's going to have the year after that. And he's going to have the year after that. If he chooses to return to all those years of schooling uh, at the university of Hawaii or elsewhere, but he can play college football for three more years counting this one and so it will get a little confusing because we all know of how much eligibility a player might have but it might not match up exactly in what they say but again let's get to this week the season opener things are going to be kicking off but before we talk about the game at ucla big news broke last week where the university of hawaii revealed that they had been informed by the county and the government of hawaii that they will not be able to host events here to open the season due to the rising COVID-19 cases in the state and the hospitals filling up to capacity. Now, this is something that can be looked at in a couple of weeks, and hopefully that will change for the next time the University of Hawaii is at home, and whether that's women's volleyball, women's soccer, or of course football. Uh, but for the September 4th home opener against Portland State, there will not be fans in attendance. So before we start talking about this season, we start looking at the players that are going to hopefully make an impact for the Bows this year. I want to get your thoughts. Uh, I'm going to start with you, RJ, on the announcement made last week that no fans will be in attendance on September 4th. Uh, I'm going to be honest. It was a gut punch. It, it was definitely an emotional uh, uh, momentum gut punch for all of UH athletics. I mean, to have a football team in the middle of a pandemic, we all firsthand experienced how difficult that is, even from an analyst standpoint. Um, but that's one thing that's just kind of a, a, a known unknown. You knew the pandemic was coming because it had built up prior to fall. Now, the unknown unknown is losing your stadium when Aloha Stadium is condemned. And for UH Athletics, for David Matlin, the athletic director, and for all of the boosters and support, and even the construction team itself, to be able to get a workable 9,000-seat stadium that is playable by September, that was a miracle in itself, but they got it done, then went even further to say that they were going to mandate all players, all staff, and all fans be vaccinated before they can even enter the building. So UH did almost everything it could and even went above and beyond and got it done while still putting the rules out that would have guaranteed a 100% vaccinated fan base. So in my honest opinion, I don't know what would have been safer than a place where everyone is vaccinated, but it's definitely a gut punch. It's definitely something that you didn't want to hear, but at the same time, on the side of safety, at, at the end of the day, it's all about making sure that the players can make it through a full season without any snags, and you don't want any outbreaks, especially at a game, because nothing will ruin a, a first year of having T.C. Ching as a stadium uh, like a COVID outbreak. So a gut punch. But at the end of the day, the announcement was made and you have to follow the rules. Yeah. And one thing that before I get to you, Rich, that, that I want to point out is that obviously when the news broke, uh, a lot of upset fans, a lot of upset players. And, and I think that the knee jerk reaction for a lot of people is is to find how this could be uh 
any someone going against you, wager or, or, or conspiring uh, towards something. And at the end of the day, I mean, I, I've seen comments of the, the field must not be ready and this is a way of them getting out of it. That's not the case. We've all been to Clarence T.C. Ching Field. This field is not only ready, but it, it's really better than I thought it could be in that short amount of time. Um, you know, there's questions uh, about Mayor Rick Blangiardi and his commitment to the university. That That is not the case as well. The, he made it clear that he wanted to see fans and, and obviously with the University of Hawaii putting their policy up front of vaccinated fans only and mass on top of that, they did everything they could to get fans into the complex for what will be a historic night of the very first game ever played on campus in University of Hawaii football history. But at the end of the day, you look at the the highest cases that we've had as a state through the COVID-19 pandemic, which is surprising to a lot of people. And, uh, you know, and, and when those things happen, added regulations come. And so all we can do is hope that things get better and everyone can do their part in order to get fans back into Clarence T.C. Ching Field. But Rich, um, what, what were your thoughts when you first heard that September 4th would be in an empty stadium? Well, disappointed, like RJ mentioned. Uh, the, the stadium is beautiful, and it was ready. And, and that in itself, like RJ mentioned, is, is a miracle. Um, I've seen uh, the debacle of all kinds of construction projects that were not on time and that were over budgeted. I'm very impressed by David Matlin and anybody that has worked to get the stadium ready for that first game. That being said, Rob, um, I also I'm old enough to remember Clum Gym when volleyball games were played in Clum Gym. And I love the atmosphere. And I just couldn't wait for those fans to come down from the dormitories, people to be in the parking lot, you know, uh, parking on the grass field and just a really on campus type of atmosphere that we've all kind of anticipated. But I can tell you this, playing in Monday night football, playing in, in playoff games in the National Football League, once the game starts, it's 11 on 11. So when Hawaii lines up to play in that first game against Portland State, you know, sure that the players want that atmosphere, sure that they get, you know, motivated and the adrenaline starts to flow. But once it starts, it's 11 on 11. Let the best 11 win. And uh, I think Hawaii has a very good chance to uh, have a good home record. And hopefully, and Rick Blangiardi loves Hawaii football and wants there to be fans, as everybody does. So hopefully this is something that will come to pass and we'll see that thing fill up. We'll see standing room only and we'll see the, the kind of atmosphere that we're all anticipating. Yeah, unprecedented times to say the least, but that also comes with unprecedented situations that you're placed in. But you mentioned 11 on 11, Rich. That's what we're going to talk about right now. The players involved with this 2021 Rainbow Warrior football team and, and fresh off the press, the two deep depth chart for the University of Hawaii out this morning ahead of their game against UCLA on Saturday. And so what we're going to do right now is take time to go over the position group. And so I'm going to, I'm going to give you the, the two deep, uh, courtesy of the University of Hawaii for this game against UCLA. But then we're going to talk about this unit as a whole. And I'm going to ask each of you to give me the player of that unit that you are most intrigued by entering 2021 and make one bold statement about this position group. And so let's start off with the quarterbacks, because obviously that is the position that the spotlight is always on. And for the University of Hawaii football team, surprise, surprise, 
QB1 is St. Louis graduate, sophomore quarterback, Shevin Cordero. We talked about his status. He is listed as a junior, but again, he is a sophomore in regards to eligibility. But he enters his fourth year with this program at the University of Hawaii and his backup being Braden Shager, the true freshman out of Texas. And I can tell you that I've been covering this football team since 2002 at a full-time standpoint of going to training camps and being at practices and outside of Shevin who entered the run and shoot as a run and shoot high school quarterback. I'd say arguably I haven't seen a true freshman as comfortable and as patient as Braden Shager. And so this is definitely a strong one-two punch at quarterback with Shevin Cordero leading the way. So, Rich, I'm going to start with you. Tell me about this quarterback unit in your mind entering this Rainbow Warrior football season. Well, you mentioned the backup position has been solidified. This kid gets rid of the rid of the football. He reads defenses. He has tremendous poise. Not the athlete that Cordero is, but a very capable backup. And the future is in good hands if Chevron decides to leave early. Now I'll segue to what I feel will be the MVP of this conference. You know, uh, when you talk about Turner, you talk about maybe one of the most exciting guys we've seen since Chad Owens, Devon Best, and those type of guys. But when you talk about Chevron Cordero, to me, could be the MVP of this league. As much as I like uh, Turner and, and his possibility and his potential, to me, because of the ball in his hands on a continual basis, the ability to make all the throws, the ability to escape pressure, the ability to extend plays, the ability to take something and make something out of nothing, the long runs, the explosive runs. And to me, he has all the qualities of being an MVP of this league. I'm super excited about Chevron Cadero being the leader of this football team, the commander, as Todd Graham would say. And obviously that's a bold statement right there. So I don't need to ask you to make a bold statement of Chevin <laughs> Cordero could possibly be the MVP of the Mountain West Conference. So RJ, of the quarterbacks, and obviously it goes further than too deep, but obviously at the university level, you're looking at QB1, QB2. Who intrigues you the most? Is it the true freshman out of Texas, Braden Shager? Uh, it, it, it'll have to be because... I've watched Shevin play. I know what he can do. Shevin's uh, a baller. Shevin's, like uh, Rich said, could definitely be the MVP of this league, could definitely be Offensive Player of the Year. It would not surprise me. I mean, this is a kid that from his high school days in St. Louis, we knew had an arm. Then all of a sudden last year, he leads UH in all rushing categories, period. So, you know, we, we kind of know what Shevin can do, and we're all interested to see, but – you know, this freshman coming out of Texas, uh, it's definitely been a lot of talk about him, a lot of quiet whispers, a lot of conversation about him being able to take over. And in the few practices that I have seen, he is, like you said, Rich, I mean, Rob, excuse me, he's extremely comfortable. I mean, the back shoulder throws, the one-on-one -on -one throws, the jump ball throws, a lot of guys would rather throw check downs. A lot of guys would rather, you know, get in the middle of the field, find the open spot in the zone, find the soft spots. But no, Shager right off the bat is going for the one-on-ones. He's going for the deep balls. He is trying to show that even though he may be a backup, he is more than ready to be QB1. And in order to be offensive MVP of the league, you got to put up a lot of points. So I wouldn't be surprised that if UH gets a heavy lead, we do happen to see Brady Shager show up and, 
You know, the last time we had two QBs that could start at once, it was something like a 10-win season. So that's definitely an exciting aspect when you have a backup quarterback who has this much bubbling about him, and he's only been here for a couple of months. Yeah, and speaking of those two quarterbacks, being Shevin Cordero and Cole McDonald, who ended up leaving early and being drafted by the Tennessee Titans, well, obviously every quarterback has their skill set, they have their talent, but it is very difficult to do the things you want to do if you are not being protected. So let's talk about the offensive line. And real quickly, because we want to make this as timely as possible, we know it's a podcast and and people may be listening to this in the car or at work, or maybe you're going for a run, um, but we're going to try not to be here for two and a half hours to get you ready for the Bows football season here in 2021. So I'm going to just roll through the starting offensive linemen. According to the depth chart, we got, no surprises here. Left tackle, El Manning. Left guard, Michael Vanterpool. Center, Cole Vau. Right guard, Solovai Pulu. And right tackle, Gene Pryor. And so, RJ, I'm going to ask you to make one bold statement about this position group. It could be about the unit itself. It could be about a player. It could be about what is possible. What is it? What's your bold statement on this unit? Well, my bold statement is that the five that you are listed in the first game will be the same five that you list in the final game. Now, to a lot of people, that may not be bold, but to have an entire offensive line make it through an entire season without any injuries, that that is a very uh, hard thing to get done. But this is 112 combined starts amongst these five players right here. These are guys that were getting after it, guys whose bodies you've seen change physically from the outside as an analyst. You know, we're not with these guys every day, and we can come out there and see that, ooh, you know, El Manning's definitely looked a lot better. Solo by Pulu's dropped weight. Uh, Cola Val's dropped weight. So, you know, with these guys having the starting experience, the camaraderie, as long as they played together and what this schedule is going to require of them, I do think that all five of these guys will be able to have enough spit and grit to make it through all grueling uh, schedule that they have this year. Definitely a group of guys that took the offseason training program very seriously under Cody Cook with the Rainbow Warrior football team. You mentioned Solo Vaipulu, Cole Vau, El Manning. I mean, all these guys look like tight ends, essentially. And Todd Graham talked about how important that would be because of the up-tempo offense that didn't even scratch the surface in 2020. And so these guys are definitely in shape. Rich Miano, what stands out to you? What's your bold statement about the offensive line in 2021? that Cole Laval is finally going to live up to his billing. And when I say billing, I'm talking National Football League, 6'6", 360 pounds, whether it was discipline, whether it was conditioning in the past, he is ready to play his last year at the University of Hawaii. He needs to, and they all do, needs to be more physical. They need to put their hand in the ground. It's no longer run and shoot, throw the ball 70 times a game, two-point stance, pass setting, come off the ball. If it's short yardage and they all have their hands on the ground and it's a four-point stance and they can change the line of scrimmage, that's what Todd Graham talked about. The run and gun starts with the run. And the play-action pass is good. But you got to run the football to set up play action pass. This team needs to be more physical in the running game to have complete offensive success. And it starts in the middle. Keep the pocket clean. Get that push. Get those inside zones, those tight zone running plays downhill quickly. For the first time in a long time, a true tight end 
in the offense for the University of Hawaii. And, you know, you could even go back to when Nick Rolovich first arrived at UH and he implemented a tight end and you had Unga out there, um, you know, but at, you could almost mimic that as it was more close. It was closer to Greg Salas being a slot back in the offense in 2010, where you had a guy that was agile, that had size, uh, but moved more like a receiver than a tight end. But you got a tight end here in, in uh, this University of Hawaii offense with six foot five, 230 pound Caleb Phillips, who comes here out of Stanford. And so he is listed number one on the depth chart for the tight end position. And behind him is Hekili Keli'iliki, who played that position last year, kind of in a in demand. He had to do it on the spot and learn that position as the season went on. Kamuel aboard enlisted behind him, or with him, I should say, as the number two tight end. And so, RJ, when you see the tight end in this offense, what bold statement do you have for us that they'll be able to provide here in this 2021 season? Well, uh, the bold statement I got is at least 500 yards of receiving <laughs> should come out of these, you know, three rotational guys that they got. Like you just mentioned, when you get six, five. In a season. Let me, let me, in a season. In a season. I don't, want, I don't want anyone thinking that we're 500 in a season. I'm not RJ's calling out. for uh, NCAA records over here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Chevin goes 33 for 33 to one guy. <laughs> yeah, no, but uh, most definitely when you get, Big bodies like that, 6'5", 230, you have a new weapon on offense. And uh, Rich, being the defensive mind, can tell you it's a lot more difficult when you start dealing with big athletes. Big guys is one thing because they're just blocking. They're coming off the ball, which is something that these tight ends can do. But when you have all these offensive weapons that can get it down the field, such as a Calvin Turner, Day-Day Hunter, Jared Smart, and so forth, it gets more difficult when you get to the red zone because these guys aren't as big. These guys aren't as beefy by bringing in a tight end. You definitely change the outcome and outlook of what defenses have to do when they're going against you. You can't just double the guys on the outside because now you might leave the inside open. So I think having a tight end is definitely going to transform how this offense maneuvers itself, especially with short yardage and when you get into the red zone. So I definitely could see these tight ends becoming great utility players, no matter who's out there, just in the scheme of the offense, having a tight end definitely gives you a bunch of relief, especially, you know, with blocking, with being able to protect the quarterback while also going out for a pass. You mentioned Tui Unga. He was a great guy to help me block that defensive end when he was crashing down. So it's definitely going to be relief for those tackles to have some support on that outside. All right. And let's round out the offense and talk about the skill positions where it's not your standard wide receiver running back and and that's what you're looking at when you look at the depth chart for the University of Hawaii I'm going to go through it real quickly the h-back position solo turner with Steven Viso uh, Fiso excuse me as his backup uh, the wide receiver positions on one side Nick Mardner backed up by Aaron Cephas the other side Jared Smart backed up by Zion Bowens and then you got the Running back slash wide receiver flex position. That's Calvin Turner Jr. with James Phillips and Dr. Scott listed behind him with the running back position going to Day-Day Hunter and Dedrick Parson. But at the end of the day, all of these guys are interchangeable. And so really, you can just say the skill position 
for the University of Hawaii. The skill position starters for the University of Hawaii are Solo Turner, Nick Martin, Jared Smart, Calvin Turner Jr., and Day Day Hunter. But even that is interchangeable uh, because there is a lot of versatility in this offense. So, Rich Miano, after hearing all of that, what is your bold statement about the skill positions here at the University of Hawaii in 2021? I'm going to mimic Coach Todd Graham when he said there is no excuses on the offensive skill position. They are loaded. There is depth. There is quality. And there finally is a true tight end. And there's multiple tight ends. I'd like to see Jonah Laulu make an appearance again at the tight end position like he did in the New Mexico Bowl. So when you're 6'5", 230 pounds, as Caleb Phillips is, that's a big target, Rob, and knowing how to sit down in zones and all that. But then you start talking about these receivers, and you didn't even mention, I think, True Edwards. I went to a scrimmage, a couple of scrimmages, True Edwards showed up, as well as uh, guys that you, you didn't hear. Aaron Cephas showed up, made a bunch of catches. And then we know what Jared Smart can do. We also know what Calvin Turner can do from that slot position. And, you know, there's a bunch of guys. We're not even mentioned Jonah Panoki, who had a, a big uh, season last year as well, a couple of good games. There's so much depth at wide receiver that I think you're going to see fresh legs. I think you're going to see way more of a vertical passing game. And I think it's going to be exciting. Todd Graham said this, expect to go downfield. When you're calling a play, expect to score. That should be the end result. I think we're going to see a very exciting high powered offense. I'm glad you brought up Aaron Cephas, a guy that if I were to give a helmet sticker as the standout in training camp, maybe you could say most improved. And and the interesting thing with him is that he came here with a lot of accolades out of Rice. And so he had proved himself already in college football. And I think maybe it just took a little time for him to adjust to his new offense, to adjust to his surroundings, to adjust to a new program. Uh, This is a guy that really impressed me in training camp, and I'm expecting big things out of number 28. RJ Hollis, your bold statement about the skills. Well, I I think I'm going to just pretty much piggyback off what Rich said. They're loaded, and I mean loaded like a baked potato out of your favorite barbecue restaurant. These are There's so much talent here that even when I was doing the study, I just told you guys before we started recording, I had one running back three slot backs and four wide receivers, and they all could just be changed in or out. So my bold statement is everybody's going to get in the end zone. My bold statement is from Calvin Turner down to Kowali Nishigaya, another name that's not mentioned but will definitely be mentioned this season because, as we all know, that kid does not step on a football field without making his presence felt. I feel like every one of these guys could score. I mean, when you look at somebody like Zion Bowens, who was nowhere near the top of the production last year, he had five catches for 145 yards and two touchdowns. Five catches for 145 yards. That is 29 yards a catch. That is three first downs every time he touches the ball. And this is a kid that was just in the back burner. He had an explosive New Mexico game, two catches, 82 yards for a touchdown. Nick Mardner had an explosive New Mexico game, five catches, 147 yards. And outside of that, we never really heard much else besides Calvin Turner, Chevin Cordero, and a couple of other gadget plays. But I do feel, like Rich said, this skill position is so loaded. Solo Turner, Day-Day Hunter, uh, Dedrick, the, the guys that we just have not even got to see yet at full potential, I think these guys are going to show up and show out 
And in order for that offense to stay fresh, you can't keep giving the ball to the same person. But the best part about this is that they will not have to give the ball to the same person. They will have more than enough options, and Shevin will be a lot like a kid in a candy store when he sees those one-on-ones, and that's just my opinion. I'm going to make one request, and that's moving forward here on Bowie's Football Final. Touchdowns are now called loaded baked potatoes because we need to keep this going. <laughs> RJ Hollis is on to something right here. Everybody it's, gets a loaded baked potato. Oh, everybody everybody gets getting a baked potato. <laughs> I love it. And, and, you know, before we move past the offense, there's one thing I want to mention. And I was fortunate enough to travel uh, for KHON to, to Las Vegas for the Mountain West Conference media days. And Calvin Turner Jr., as you guys know by now, is a, a humble, respectful, great guy to be around. And he would never admit this. I guarantee you he would never admit this publicly. But I was blown away to the disrespect that Calvin Turner Jr. got at the Mountain West Conference media days. And I'm not talking about where he was placed on the all-conference team where he was listed as the the, the punt returner, first-team punt returner, a position he's never played uh, in his life but was, was listed as a punt returner, and so therefore that's where he got put. But really, even just when the interviews started and when the reporters had opportunities to do their interviews with players, and how few reporters from around the conference found their way to Calvin Turner Jr., and even when they did, um, the, the questions they asked him as if maybe they didn't even know who he was or what he accomplished in the 2020 season. I think this is a guy that I think in a lot of cases, when you have a player enter a new program, a lot of people don't know about him and they have the kind of season he had. I think it's hard to now realign yourself and say, okay, I'm no longer trying to prove people wrong. I'm not trying to prove people right. And for some people, that's not easy to do. I don't think Calvin Turner Jr. had to do that because I think he's still trying to prove people wrong despite the year he had. And so I'm super interested to see what he's able to do and the kind of chip that he brings onto his shoulder into the 2021 season. Well, we took a look at the offense. Now let's talk about the defense. And let's start with the defensive line for this Rainbow Warrior football team. And again, like we talked about the skill position, the versatility and how interchangeable this is because there are players listed as defensive end, defensive tackle, nose tackle. I think 90% of these guys can play defensive end or defensive tackle. And so it almost doesn't even make sense to, to, to list it in that way. But I'll tell you what the depth chart says. Dewan Matthews or Ote Baker. And let me tell you about this defensive line. There's more oars than the Molokai Hoy going on right here because every position has an oar in it, all right? So Dewan Matthews, Ote Baker, defensive end. The other defensive end, Jonah Laulu or Dewan Matthews. Then you go defensive tackle, Peter Tonga or Zach McKinney. A couple of D1 transfers, Tonga from Utah, McKinney from Oklahoma. And then you got nose tackle, Blessman Ta'ala or Justice Tavai. So defensive line, this is a veteran bunch. And whether it's a veteran bunch because they were playing at the University of Hawaii or a veteran bunch because they're coming from another D1 program. Uh, and in both of the, their cases, uh, in Tonga and McKinney from Power 5 programs, uh, Rich, what is your bold statement about this defensive line? A position that I think it's safe to say has been the weakest for the University of Hawaii going back at least a decade, right? 
Yeah, and I think T.C. Ching, Rob, should build walls along the sidelines because it's going to be like hockey where the line change <laughs> is going to come in and there's going to be four new guys that can actually play football. Last year, the reason that they went to an odd front, a three-man front, so often is because they didn't have four quality defensive linemen. And as I say that, I'm kind of contradicting myself because Dewan Matthews played much better than people give him credit. 5'11", 285 pound, led the team defensive line in tackles last year. Justice Tavai, who also was uh, a big time tackler last year as well, did a great job as well. And that's what I was talking about, the guy that gets double teamed all the time, Bless Mata'ala. And you mentioned coming in is Pizza Tonga and Zacchaeus McKinney. Those two guys aren't from like one double A teams that decided to like walk on uh, to the Manoa campus. That's Oklahoma. That's Utah. These guys are athletes. And I'm so excited about seeing that defensive line in a four man front and then being able to be multiple and being able to have the versatility to have eight guys playing, you know, if in case there is a long drive or just to stay fresh. But it all starts on the D line, Rob. And this is a saying coming as a defensive back coach and a former defensive back. The best pass defense is a pass rush. It all starts up front. You don't have missed tackles in the secondary at the third level because it became the second level because the linebackers were trying to fit on run stunts. Now you can play a true four-man pass rush. Now you can play some other things where you're not downhill run-dogging your backers so that they can make tackles and not make it so hard on the secondary. And the secondary is going to be better tackles, but it all starts up front. When I had Reggie White and I had Jerome Brown, and I had Clyde Simmons, and I had those guys playing free safety for Rich Miano was real easy. As soon as Reggie White left, as soon as Jerome Brown died, then all of a sudden the quarterback's looking you off and has all kinds of time. There's bigger holes throughout the front seven. It's tougher open field tackles. This defensive line has to be the strength of the team. The whole mantra of this football team has to be, let's get physical. Oh, I like it. Getting physical, Rich Miano. I mean, we're gonna have to pay royalties uh, to to the song. I mean, because I thought you were about to break out pretty. I soon. was. I thought RJ might sing it for me though. <laughs> I don't well, know if RJ's old me. enough. <laughs> that's that's all. Let's get physical. Come on, man. You know, it's Donna <laughs> Summer. Yeah, oh, let's get physical. Physical, physical, physical. Yeah. that's a different show that's a different show but with that being said rj hollis what song best describes your thoughts for the defensive line the university of hawaii in 2021 i'm putting you on the spot you got to come up that is, you got to come up question. with a song right here well you know what I, I think i can get one on the spot and i'm gonna piggyback off rich said who let the dogs out? Ooh, <laughs> I like and it. I think this year is going to be who let the dogs out. Now, last year, there was a 3-4. Like Rich said, there wasn't a lot of defensive linemen to constantly rotate in. Your sack leader was Darius Mulasau, and right behind him was Corey Bethley. I think with the addition of Peter Tonga, Zach McKinney, Ote Baker, the return of all of your defensive linemen, stellar players like Dewan Matthews, and probably the most reliable player on the team, and blessment to Allah, who just stepped on campus and has played in every single game since, which is almost unheard of, especially in the trenches, even though he showed up looking like he was 37. Even though, <laughs> you know, this guy is a beast of a human being. I think this year, by adding the depth, by having, you know, all of these oars, as you mentioned, you give these guys fresh legs, you give them that ability to pin their ear back and let the dogs out. Like 
Rich said, like most football coaches, most football analysts will say, the game is won in the trenches. Last year, this team gave up 200 yards rushing on five different occasions. By adding this depth, by adding more players, giving them fresh win, I don't think that happens as many times. I think your sack leader actually comes from this group and not from the linebackers or defensive backs. And I think that before they can start looking off safeties, they're going to be looking for who's up there in the front. So who let the dogs out? Right. I like it, man. You talk about how uh, uh, how old uh, Peter looks. Uh, he definitely knows who Donna, Donna Summers is, right? <laughs> definitely. definitely. Hey, so, uh, you know, there's one thing I want to point out real quickly before we move to the linebackers, and that is it's interesting because we've all been a part of University of Hawaii practices for a long time. Rich, you started coaching at the University of Hawaii in 1999. I had mentioned that I entered a full-time status of covering this team in 2002. And RJ, you played for the University of Hawaii and then had stayed ever since and been covering the team. And so we've all seen a bunch of different practices. We've seen training camps. And what makes this one interesting is that we are not there for the entirety of full practices, right? We're there for the first 45 minutes and then there's a, a closed period and we come back maybe for the last 45 minutes. And so there's a lot that we don't see in regards to the lead up to a season. And that almost makes it as exciting uh, that I think a lot of fans are going through because there's, there are some things that when this team hits the field for the first time against UCLA, we're going to be seeing it for the first time as well, despite being there every day, because we are not there for the entirety of practice. And, and that also goes to, uh, you know, uh, the, the excitement level of some of these players is because we're not seeing them in certain situations. And so what we are seeing draws our interest, peaks our interest. And so I think definitely you need to take that in consideration when you're listening to this, there is a lot to be excited about this university of Hawaii football team, because I'll be the first to tell you that talent wise, this is one of the more talented football teams I've seen in a long time in Manoa, and that is no joke. I'm not saying that, and you guys know personally that that's not something I've said before about uh, a previous Rainbow Warrior team. I mean, this legitimately is a very talented football team. Will that work out with a tough schedule uh, in, in your conference play? Who knows? We shall see, but... There is a lot to be excited about this University of Hawaii football team. And Todd Graham, the head coach of this team, says the unit he is most excited about is the linebacking core. And for good reason. And obviously, before I talk about the linebackers that are listed, the four that are listed on the depth chart and a lot more that you're going to be seeing in action, it must be noted that Jeremiah Pritchard, who was returning to the University of Hawaii football team, suffered injuries in an offseason car accident. He is out indefinitely. He is not expected to be playing football for the University of Hawaii here in 2021. We send all our love and aloha to him as he recovers. Um, but that is a big loss for this Rainbow Warrior football team and what they wanted to do. But with that being said, Darius Muasau, Isaiah Tufanga, listed as one linebacker in that order, the other linebacker, Panay Pavihi and Riley Wilson, who entered this program as a wide receiver out of Texas, but has put on tremendous size and moves great laterally. He is listed at the number two. But again, there's a lot more that you're going to see playing the linebacker position at the University of Hawaii. So, Rich, I'm going to start with you. Bold statement about the linebackers here for this University of Hawaii football team. Bold statement is that uh, Darius Muasau will play 
at the next level. He will remind people of Pisa Tanoi Samoa. He's going to remind people of Jelani Tavai. He's going to remind people of Jeff Ulbricht, Carl Kenny Brew, you know, guy Steve Lahore. I'm going back decades. Mm -hmm. This guy is the leader of that defense. And I'm talking about from film study. I'm talking about intensity, sideline to sideline, diagnosing things quickly, and just being able to rush the passer. I've seen this guy set offensive tackles. They don't even touch him. He can do it all. He can line up and play any linebacker position, get up in that end of the line of scrimmage and beat an offensive tackle on a on pass rush. Um, I just am so excited. Worth the price of admission. Darius Muasau will be a next-level player. R.J. Hollis, what's your bold statement about the linebackers? Well, I, I don't know if it's going to be as bold as uh, Darius Muasau bringing to the NFL, but, I mean, you get 100 tackles in a season, you're definitely setting yourself up for success. Um, in a nine-game season. In a nine-game season. In a nine-game season. Yeah. My, 100 tackles that in a nine-game season. And lead the team in sacks while you're doing that. But uh, I, I think my bold statement this year is going to be breakout player Isaiah Tufunga. I, I definitely think this guy is going to step up and he's going to make some plays. Now, we know Panay Pavihi can play. Last year, he was coming off of an injury. So, as we remember, Fresno State and maybe the second and third game, Panay had his hand in the dirt. He was actually one of the linemen. So, now that he gets to come back and be in a, a two-point stance, as well as with Darius Mulesau, I think there's going to be a lot watching these guys. There's going to be a lot, hey, keying off 53, keying off number one. We know what these guys can do. And while they're doing that, they're not going to be paying attention to number 17, Isaiah Tufunga, former St. Louis Crusader, Oregon State transfer. That is going to be my bold statement that this guy is going to have an absolute breakout season and he is going to step up and make Jeremiah Pritchard proud that his little brother was able to fill those shoes with grace and with intensity. Awesome. And let's close things out with the defensive backs when, when talking about the defense. And I'm going to lump it all together. Corners, safeties, the spur position, which uh, most people will look at it as a nickel, where you're looking at the spur, Quentin Frazier or Eugene Ford with Hugh Nelson the second as the backup. Cornerbacks, you got Cortez Davis on one side, backed up by Kobe Burton, Cameron Lockridge on the other side with Michael Washington behind him, and the two safeties, Corey Bethley and Chima Azuna, backed up by Eugene Ford and Kai Kaneshiro. And again, as we mentioned time and time again, versatility, versatility, versatility. That is what they are trying to accomplish here at the University of Hawaii. Trent Fig, Victor Santa Cruz, and what they're trying to do. Todd Graham, of course, the head coach uh, of this football team. And, and so when you see a guy like Eugene Ford listed in multiple positions, you know, the, the best backup safety might be the number one spur position guy and then everything's going to get moved around because of one position change and so you're going to see a lot of people playing a lot of different positions and so i'm going to start with you rj the defensive back unit dbu h for the rainbow warriors oh, what's your bold statement uh, uh my bold statement for this is that this unit even though it may not be that bold will lead the mountain west conference and interceptions. Now, granted, I know they did it, I want to say the last year or the year before, and they had three DBs already returning with two INTs, and two of these guys aren't even listed as starters. So what you're saying with the versatility is it's not necessarily always going to be about who's the 
clear-cut best guy. Sometimes it's going to be about who's the best guy for this situation. You got guys like Eugene Ford that got two interceptions in one game, bigger DB that can handle in the nickel, that can handle back. You got guys like Corey Bethley who could come off the edge, who could be safety, might get buffed up to linebacker, and he might even be able to be a nickel. Uh, Hugh Nelson coming in from the University of Georgia. Now, I don't have much tape to watch from him, but I heard one statement that kind of solidified what this guy has made a name for himself within that locker room. And they say that every day in one-on-ones, he seeks and searches for Calvin Turner. Every day for one-on-ones, he seeks and searches for Calvin Turner. And a lot of times, these are good battles between the two. So when you got guys like that stepping in, guys coming in from Iowa State, like Chimo Azuna, who was a part of one of the winningness senior classes that he's been a part of, and this is just an addition to what we saw last year, I think this group leads uh, maybe more than just interceptions, maybe even in sacks and TFLs as well. We know how Todd Graham likes to send those guys off the edge. Like I said last year, Darius Moussaou was the sacks leader, but right behind him was Corey Bethley. Right behind him was Quentin Frazier. These guys both had six TFLs as DBs. So when you have DBs that are doing all of these different responsibilities that are going to be facing off against speed wide receivers, big wide receivers. And I haven't even mentioned Cortez Davis, who held Romeo Dubs, which was a top wide receiver in the nation, to one catch for 10 yards when Nevada came here last year. Didn't even get a chance to mention him. And he was the number one quarter cornerback voted by Mountain West Media. So when you have this many guys getting additions, it's like, I don't, it's like if the Monstars, Got a a LeBron James Heat team to put on their bench. I mean, you're already stacked and loaded, and you bring in more guys to the party. Hey, I I don't see this going any other way but up for this group. It is a very talented group. The defense wears white now, so that means that's what the head coach is thinking. And I think with this talented stack group, with this transfer talent, and with returning talent, this defensive back group will be one of the best in the Mount West, if not one of the best in the country. Bold statement, said. There you go. Well, Rich Miano, this is your area of expertise, 11-year veteran in the NFL as a safety. Your bold statement, and, and I don't know if it's going to be as bold as RJ's, but defensive backs, what you got? Yeah, I'm not going to go out on that limb and say best in the country, but I do agree with RJ in terms of best potentially in the conference. And Chuma Azuna is going to make them better initially And the return of Eugene Ford, who got injured early in last season's game. I think Kai Kanashiro is going to continue to evolve as a safety. Nickelback can even play that cornerback position. But Cortez Davis has hips. He has confidence. He has balance. He has patience. He's a shutdown type of corner, a guy that will at least get into an NFL training camp next year. And Cameron Lockridge, I think, will show the vast potential that he has. Nelson from Georgia is going to be a big-time addition. But there is depth. There is quality, there is quantity, and there is better tackling. And all those long runs against Wyoming and San Diego State, you're not going to see that many long runs uh, this season against this secondary because they're tracking the ball. They are coming to balance. They are rip, rapid, grabbing cloth, shooting the hitch, Rob, and taking guys down to that beautiful surface at T.C. Ching Field. There you go, man. I'm ready. I'm ready to run through this brick wall here at the KJN. <laughs> the brick house. Office. The brick house, man. You better watch out. 
because Rich Miano got me pumped up right there. All right, let's move over to the specialist. I'm just going to go down the list. And this is another situation where you got a whole lot of oars. It's a canoe here for the Rainbow Warrior football team. Place kicker Matthew Shipley over Kyler Halverson out of Kaiser, the true freshman. But then with kickoffs, you got Halverson or Matthew Shipley. On punting, you got Shipley or Adam Stack. Long snapper Wyatt Tucker. Holder, Adam Stack. And then, of course, punt returner and kick returner will be Calvin Turner Jr. with Dior Scott of Last Chance U fame serving as his backup. And real quickly, this roundup, this uh, this look at the units here for the University of Hawaii entering 2021. RJ Hollis, your bold statement on the specialists for the bowls. Uh My bold statement is going to be at least three games decided, both win or loss by the foot of one of these kickers. Now, we don't know which one is going to be. We don't know exactly who it's going to be, but this is a grueling 13-game season. you got two Pac-12 teams. you got to go back in a conference that knows you can ball out. There are going to be some games that come down to the wire, and I think at least three of these 13 games will be determined by the foot of a kicker. All right, Rich Miano. Well, first of all, Calvin Turner knows how to catch punts now. It's a scary thought because he'd be one of the best kickoff and punt returners in the Mountain West Conference. You know, when you talk about Wyatt Tucker, you're talking about a lineage of long snappers. Uh, second, I think, our first in the nation of not having a punt block for like 180-something consecutive games. It's just phenomenal. It's always on time and in the right point. Stack, I didn't give enough credit for Stack last year. After reviewing tape and watching him, he's an outstanding punter. Shipley has to get more consistent on his kickoffs, and I think Halverson has the leg to every defensive coordinator's dream is a touchback. All right. Well, that rounds up the units for the University of Hawaii. And so just a couple of uh, two more things before we say aloha on this season opener of Bose football final. And that is the game at hand Saturday, 930 in the morning, Hawaii time on ESPN being played at the iconic Rose Bowl in Pasadena, California against UCLA. RJ, your expectations entering this game for the Rainbow Warriors to, to not only start the season on the right foot, you would hope against a power five opponent against a PAC 12 opponent and such a big game against a big name like Chip Kelly leading UCLA. What are your expectations heading into this game? Well, uh, my expectations are that essentially this game is going to determine a lot about this season. This is a, very talented team. They have a quarterback that was recruited so highly that the only quarterback that was highly touted in him as a dual threat was a guy by the name of Justin Fields. So I don't know if you guys follow football. That's a first round draft pick out of Ohio State right there. So on both sides of the ball, UCLA is going to have a lot of talent. Chip Kelly, a almost household coach name. So to go up there on the road in LA in the Rose Bowl, uh, you definitely want to have your best present, your best game going forward. So I think that UH is going to have to do something where they can leave there with their chin up. Win or loss, we know this is going to be one of the better teams you face all year. So at the end of the day, I do expect them to put something forward where they can leave the Rose Bowl still being able to look forward to the next 12 games whether it is a win or a loss. Now, win is always what you aim for. But like I said, this is an extremely talented team. Chip Kelly is a great offensive mind, so great that once he was at Oregon, he catapulted himself 
into the NFL where he actually won a division title with the Philadelphia Eagles. So at the end of the day, we know that this is a guy at the helm that could definitely make things work. UCLA hasn't had a winning season in five years, hasn't won a bowl game since 2014. So they're definitely going to be chomping at the bit to almost make an example out of UH. And I don't think UH is going to sit there and, and take that lightly. So this is going to be a very uh, uh, high-powered electric game. And I think by the end of it, UH is going to give us something that can have us even more excited for the games going forward. All right, Rich Miano, your expectations out of this season opener at UCLA and how important is this game in regards to what your expectations are for the rest of the season? Well, uh, it's to kind of piggyback on a little bit of what RJ said. This will be the best offense Hawaii faces all year long. But I also think having, you know, been the director of football for the Polynesian Bowl, the two starting quarterbacks on the one team was Chevin Cadero and Dorian Thompson Robinson. So those two guys are as electric as you're going to find on the West Coast. So I expect this to be a high-scoring game. If Hawaii can be there in the fourth quarter, I think that's going to speak volumes of the success this season. And I expect Hawaii to score points and come up with some defensive stops and uh, put some pressure on that electric offense. This is a great opener. You're preparing for uh, a, just a phenomenally well-coached, talented football team. But guess what? Hawaii is a well-coached, talented football team. I will be sitting – I won't be able to sleep, Rob, the night before that game. You know, it's really interesting. And, guys, I want to get your sense. On, we talked about expectations for the UCLA game. But when you look at this season – Obviously, last year was a strange year from in, in every way, shape and form that you want to look at it uh, of Todd Graham entering the program suddenly because of Nick Rolovich leave, leaving late for Washington State. And then you had to wait. I, I don't even remember what it was like nine months before he ever held a practice at the University of Hawaii. Uh, you know, there's so much that went into that year that they kind of set the University of Hawaii up to fail. And the fact that they were able to go five and four and the fact that they won a bowl game and looked the best that they did all season long in that bowl game in a victory over Houston, what did that tell you about this season and how much do you look at this season as, do you have a barometer? Like if the Rainbow Warriors do not accomplish X, then this is a disappointment of a season. Like where, where are you putting this Rainbow Warrior season as far as what you enter the year just having the confidence in or having the optimism in or on the other end of thinking that, hey, I don't know if this is the year. I don't know if it's right now that Todd Graham is able to accomplish all the things that he wants to do. So, uh, Rich, I'm going to start with you. Where do you sit on all that? Well, the barometer for me is eight wins. And if you don't get the eight wins to me, it's uh, disappointing. It's underachieving because I think this team is that talented. I think, you know, Todd Graham expects this offense to go quicker, to be more precise. 15 illegal procedure penalties last year to be more disciplined. And I think also he wants this defense to continue to attack, but be much more sound in the chunk yardage plays, especially in the running games. The big. So I expect he is the special teams coordinator. He is the defensive coordinator. They have his son calling plays on offense. And I think that they're improved as coaches. I think the talent levels improved. I think the off season has been great. As RJ mentioned before, players look faster. They look stronger. They look like they're in better condition. 
I expect this season to be a breakout season. And guess what? Todd Graham, everywhere he's been, the second year has been much better than the first. All right, R.J. Hollis, Bridgemiano says eight wins. That's his barometer. What are you looking at? Well, I mean, it's the my barometer is the exact same. I'm a worst-case scenario, six wins. Best-case scenario, ten wins. Uh, just really piggybacking off of what Rich said, there was a lot of question marks, but make no mistake about it, this team is loaded. Like I said, the good baked potato at the barbecue restaurant, they got more deals than the McDonald's dollar menu. Make <laughs> no mistake about it, they have more than enough talent and firepower to go out and win more than a few games. Now, like I said, worst case scenario, uh, six wins, best case scenario, ten. That first four will tell a lot. You got two Pac-12 opponents. You got the inaugural T.C. Ching game. Fans are not. It's still on campus. So at the end of the day, they will be a part of something special. And then the next game after that at home will be San Jose State, which still is so weird for me to say. The defending Mountain West champions of San Jose State will come to T.C. Ching, and that will be your first conference game so when you look at the amount that they have to face right off the bat that's definitely going to tell you a lot and if they're able to come out of that with a three and one or a two and two record to me that that screams a potential for a great season so my barometer is literally where riches is between six and ten that average reaches out to eight but at the end of the day any given saturday is a statement for a reason. You could have all the talent in the world, and if it doesn't show up on game day, then at the end of the day, as analysts, we can only tell you what we see. So as a barometer, I think, worst case, they have enough talent to win six games with no coaching, and I think if they do everything <laughs> they need to do, this is a 10-win team that could find itself in the Mount West Championship. That's just me. And you bring up September 18th against San Jose State. Uh, if I had a genie in a bottle with unlimited wishes, and I'll say unlimited wishes because let's be real, if I had wishes, it, it wouldn't have anything to do with University of Hawaii football. But if I had <laughs> unlimited wishes, it would be that fans can go to that game at Clarence T.C. Ching Field against San Jose State, against the reigning, defending, undisputed Mountain West Conference champion San Jose State, especially with what happened last year at Aloha Stadium. So let's all cross our fingers and hope that that is the case come September 18th. But again, kickoff is this Saturday. 9.30 in the morning Hawaii time against UCLA that will be televised on ESPN. The week after that is September 4th, our first game with our Spectrum Sports broadcast team as Kanoa Leahy makes his play-by-play -play debut against Portland State. Uh, of course, uh, filling in for the late Robert Kikaula, who we love so much, and we are all still so devastated that he is not here with us. But we all know Robert, and we all know that he loved nothing more than University of Hawaii football. So just having this season getting started, I think I speak for all of us that uh, Robert's with us right now, and, and his energy and, and his positivity when it comes to UH football, I think is one that we're going to continue that ride, that wave one momentum for the rest of our lives, for sure. But we will be here all season long on Bo's football final, whether it's R.J. Hollis one week, whether it's Rich Miano one week, or whether it's both my brothers joining me here in the Brick House. We got Bo's football final season number three at KHON2.com and everywhere you download podcasts. So, guys, I'm going to give you a chance to say aloha. R.J. Hollis, what do you want to tell the people? Football's here. Football's here. 
Football's here. That's all that needs to be said. Football's here. And if you do get the opportunity to have fans at T.C. Ching Stadium, ladies and gentlemen, I think this might be one of the most electric atmospheres that has set foot on the island if it is allowed to happen. I'm hoping that it's allowed to happen. But at the end of the day, it's still fall. We still got the pigskin. So, hey, I'm excited. Let's go, people. All right, Rich, you're going to send us on out. What do you got to say? Let's get physical. Yeah. <laughs> I need to hit the weight room. Hey, hey bro, hey, you're lucky. You're lucky I got long sleeves on today, man. I'll be popping <laughs> through this thing. But hey, hey, and Don't just a heads up, man, everybody. Man. In previous years, we had the full Bose football final video cast uh, at KJON2.com. Uh, this season, it is strictly a podcast. We'll be able to put some clips up on social media to, to remind you that Bo's football final uh, had been uh, uploaded for that week. But get your headsets ready. You can be listening to us in the car, on your walks, wherever it is, while you're washing dishes. Bo's football final, whether it's on Spotify, Google, Apple, anywhere you download podcasts, that's where we will be here this season. And of course, at KHON2.com. But for my guys, RJ Hollis, Rich Miano, I'm Rob DeMello. Thanks a lot, everybody, for joining us on Season 3, Episode 1 Bose football final. We'll catch you back next Monday. We'll be talking about what happened in that UH UCLA game. And remember, 9 30 in the morning, Hawaii time, Saturday on ESPN. Aloha. <laughs>